Voice of America, Washington, D.C., signing on. Cut that oh, camera off. You, I mean, you don't have to. It just makes the file size. Oh, clear audio. Got you. Wait. Makes the file size when I download it a yep. little easier to manage. Three, two, one. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Radio Contra, the podcast of AmericanPartisan.org. And I am joined by my very good friend, a frequent partner in crime here on Radio Contra, the author of the best-selling, best-selling on Amazon.com, as well as his own website, tacticalwisdom.com, Mr. Joe Dolio. What is going on, man? Uh, I've got a dog running around here being silly. Um, I don't know. The world's getting set on fire, apparently, by Moroccans since they won a soccer game. And uh, there's just a lot of crazy things happening tonight. But what else does Morocco really have going for it, other than stunningly beautiful beaches, some pretty good-looking ladies apparently also live there. I've never been there, but that I've heard that they have some very nice-looking ladies, uh, some interesting architecture. Uh, Humphrey Bogart also had a club there at some point in time. Uh, so <laughs> well, I mean, they had some pretty strong um, terrorist recruiting gang for, game for a while. But well, yeah. there's that. <laughs> but you know, was, uh, they they were sending guys down to uh, Yemen, if I remember right. Yes, yes, there were. Was uh, there was a I I think I read a I read a book about that uh, called Agent Storm. Was uh, this this kid from um, uh, I think he was from De- yeah he was Denmark. He's from Denmark. And he uh, he was a biker and one of the uh, I think in the banditos. Then he he went to prison, converted to Islam, uh, married a Moroccan girl, ends up going to to Yemen and links up with some some Al Qaeda bad boys. And uh, it's kind of it's it's an interesting book, very interesting book. You know, while we're on that topic. I understand some folks might have an issue with some comments we made about folks who fight with the YPG and what that means, but but that's oh, for a, that's a yeah. topic of the day. Well, now nah, actually, I mean, all right. So since we broached the topic, it, you know, we'll, we'll break that down. So you know, I, I am responsible for uh, what I said. Um, you know, look look the, the details up. All right, so this kid named Sivdiv, right, he was a Marine Corps infantryman, which the, the first thing is, it, let's, let's just go on and, and spell it out. It was in the video that you and I did um, where we, we broke down literally the worst reconnaissance patrol in the history of, of patrolling. Ever. And yeah. <laughs> they were all American, okay? These were all American guys that are in Ukraine, okay? They're part of the Communist International. All right. If you do your homework on these guys, are part of the International Brigade. They're, they're part and parcel of the Communist International that is alive and well fighting in Ukraine on behalf of Ukraine. OK, and this this guy, Sivdiv, right, who I know is is very popular 
uh, or, or a minor D-list celebrity with some of the, the friggin' idiot gun crowd people out there who get off on war porn. All right. Here's the deal, guys. Guess what? He's a freaking commie. All right. He's part of the Communist International. He's a propagandist. If you got issues with that, if you want to take issue with that, you know where to find me. Okay. You know where to find us. We're out there in public. All right. Don't don't be celebrating your communist hero, uh, you know, be, just because you watch his videos that are recruiting propaganda. Okay, why is it that he is recruiting people on Reddit? All right, do your homework. Why is he recruiting people on Reddit in the commie sections of Reddit? Haha, <laughs> inside joke because the whole all all of Reddit's communist. But seriously, I mean th- that's what this guy is. All right, so you know if you, if you want to go in your little comment sections on YouTube, which screw YouTube anyway, um, who cares? But you get, you're gonna go on there and you, you're gonna simp for your hero, like you know some of you idiots do for Tulsi Gabbard or Black Rifle Coffee Company. Just understand what you're doing, what that entails. If you do your homework, if you care to do your homework, you'll understand that maybe, maybe just maybe, you're on the wrong side of things. You know what? That goes back to a to a topic I wrote about on my website a few days ago. Of there are people who get out and train in real life and do things and gather the right gear and practice and train with it, and then there are those who sit around and watch YouTube videos and get these giant rooms full of gear they'll never use. And there's a one to one correlation between those who simp for online personalities and that. It's like the flannel crowd, right? Right. right. Um. Anyway. Anyway. Hundred percent. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, and and believe me, this podcast is, hey, boy, we got off to a good start here. Um, (laughs) Already off track, but hey. Not really. I mean, but the thing is, is that get out and train. You know, I read that piece. We put it up on American Partisan. And, um, you know, I I thought it was extremely well done. and, And, you know, you are the master. You, sir, are the master of being concise in your message. You know, I, I don't think that, that anything that you write, uh, aside from your books, but your your blog entries, I don't think that anything that you write ever goes over a thousand words and you say everything that needs to be said. Like, look, right. you know, here's the point. Drive the point, drive the point home, give some supporting details and then drive the, the you know, that, that, you know, reiterate back to the original point. Hey, you know, here it is. And, um, you know, and, and that's, that's what needs to be said. Um. Uh, Getting out and training, it doesn't matter what it is. I mean, if, you know, you go out, you put a rucksack on and, and you walk three miles, you know, like that's, that's training. Okay. Going to a formal class, that is really good training because you're getting outside of your comfort zone when you do that, you know, and, and you're, you're kind of being held to account, um, you know, and, and they, yeah, you know, when, when you get into a class and when you get into a proper training environment, you know, you're you're expanding those horizons and you're being forced to learn a skill. And there's a lot of people that are out there doing it. And um, there's there's a lot of networking that occurs, too. I mean, a lot of people come to me, they'll email me and they'll say, you know, how do I how do I make a group? How do I meet people? How do I do all this stuff? Well, I mean, there's a lot of people that come to class. And they go on to form groups. There's been people that I've done private classes for that became groups because they had met each other at training classes that other people had run, you know, and, and that that's how they got linked up and they continue training together. And, uh, they, they form some of the best groups out there, you know, and, and that's how you do it. Um, you know, it, it's that, that time that you share training in a, in an environment, breaking bread with people that, that you didn't know otherwise, but you all recognize you're there for a purpose. You know, and, and, and as much as we can throw shade at, at the commies that, that are doing stuff, um, you know, and, and we absolutely do, because you got to recognize that's your enemy, right? right? But at the same time, you also have respect for your adversaries. And back in that video where we were breaking down, you know, this this patrol that went horribly wrong in, in every way possible, they're lucky they lived through that. Um, and I think that it's it's sad that, uh, a Marine infantryman was a part of that and didn't at least try and square those guys away. Uh, that's very telling too, but well, I'll, I'll observe as that. You pointed out there were two Marine infantrymen there because the one guy was wearing a third Mardiv patch. So, well, we, we don't know if he was an infantryman. 
We, we, we actually, all, all we know is he was third Marine division. I mean, he, he's wearing the patch. So, um, so that goes to that, that point of they're at least getting out there and doing the things, right? Yeah. And and we need to yeah. be. I, I made this comment to someone over the weekend. Uh, he asked me, well, how do I go out and meet other people and all that? Well, listen, guys who are willing right now in the current environment of the FBI kicking in doors and, and all that stuff, guys who are willing to go out and meet and go to a class and do things. You already know they have courage because they actually came and went to a class despite, you know, all of the the negative attention given to it by the federal government right now. So at least, you know, that guy's got a little, some cojones behind him. Right. He's ready to get out and do something. So. Fine. Well, yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. And I was going to say, I mean, for all of the, the fear, they want you afraid. They want you alone. Okay, they want you to feel like you're the only guy, that you're isolated and that everything on the Internet is fake and that, you know, they want you to feel that way because when when people feel that way, they're easy to control. And so that's what they do. That that's what the whole 90s was about. That was the whole propaganda machine that was set up against the Patriot movement, that was set up against patriotic Americans, that was set up against all the guys that had the courage to stand up and say, you know, hey, what you did at Ruby Ridge was wrong. We all saw it. It was wrong. What you did at Waco was wrong. You know, we we saw that. And we're going to stand up against it. What the Clintons are doing right now in the 1990s, you know, well, what they're doing right now in 2020s is, is still wrong. But in the 1990s, that was the general mood. This stuff is wrong. Assault weapons ban in 94, which did absolutely nothing for crime, did absolutely nothing to change the crime rate whatsoever which was why it expired when it had its sunset in 2004 people stood up and said this is wrong and we're not going to lay down and take this you know and fortunately back in that era you had uh certain outlets out there that, that were really really good and promoted that sort of hey let's get together and let's let's have a a uh, way to do something about it you know in the way of soldier of fortune and the annual soldier of fortune conventions which you know sadly uh bob brown you know he's he's pretty much out of the game and, and i mean he earned retirement because that dude literally did all the things but um you know and he he definitely stepped up to the plate a lot but we got to take that torch up you know the, the the modern liberty movement you know, the Gen Xers, the millennials, these guys are stepping up. You know, I'm very proud to be a part of that. You know, Joe, yourself, you're very, very, yep. we're very, very proud to be a part of all of this. And, and there's there's a huge amount of support out there for what you we know, do. A lot of folks who get distracted or discouraged right now. But I want to point out one win that we had recently. And that was that uh, that guy who worked for the bodega who was was attacked and ended up stabbing his attacker and killing him. You remember this? And the prosecutor yep. charged him with homicide. But because it was such a public outcry by our side, actually, for once, standing up and saying this is wrong, they changed their mind and backed off. And that's proof that if we do actually present a united front and actually get out and do the things and make our voices be heard, we can influence things. But we're too afraid to do it right now. Right. Right. Yeah, it, that, that's that's a great example. Um you know, and, and one other example, since, you know, you, you, you've kind of broached the topic when you said front, uh, <laughs> and I laugh a little bit, um, the answer is not found in, in nationwide, um, you know, point to point to the guy, right. Point, he'll, he'll tell us what to do the big man, because I've realized that a lot of people just want to be told what to do, no, no matter how much they tell you to the contrary, they want to be told what to do. And yep. they they look for organization. And because the people that, that make the rules, right, the ruling hegemony uh, that's coming out of D.C., because that's exactly what they are, the overlords of, of the things that we um, this this marriage of, of corporate influence with big tech, and with governance that, that we see, Elon Musk is a very good example of this. They they uh, of going against this, by the way. He, he's pulled the curtain back on a lot of this, but he's been part and parcel of it too, uh, in, in in the interest of fairness here. But 
they they know this, all right? They they know this, and so an age-old control technique. I mean, Rudyard Kipling talked about this in in a few of his novels, most notably Kim, uh, with Kim's Game. Uh, that, that you know everybody it's it's been to any reconnaissance school or any uh, uh, formal sniper course out there is has done Kim's game. But um, you you control movements by co-opting and subverting them. And you control them best by creating your own that you siphon off people into that otherwise are, are well-meaning and, and may even provide a or, or present rather a threat to you. You create a movement a parallel movement that's going to end up siphoning those people off. I mean, we've done this with insurgencies by supporting one insurgency over another. We did this in Iraq. Um, this was uh, how we targeted, ended up targeting Al Zarqawi. Um, there's, there's many such examples of this, right? There's many such examples of, of this occurring over and over throughout the history of, of guerrilla warfare and insurgencies and, and you know, all, all of this stuff. And so when you brought up Patriot Front um, or, or mentioned them because, you know, you, you definitely called them out uh, yesterday and, and you had all the, um, uh, the, the sock puppet accounts that, that came after you after that. Yeah, uh, so I thought it was great. <laughs> well, I, I mean, they, they, and the thing is, is that a lot of people are, are apologists and, and say, you know, oh, well, um, yeah, but they're doing this, they're doing that. Look, it's you're not understanding. OK, go back and look at the Bundy Ranch. Go back and look at the example of Ammon Bundy. Now, I personally really like Ammon Bundy. Uh, I, I think the world of of what they were able to accomplish and, and what they exposed but at the same time, you know, and in, in, at the risk of, of sounding like a Monday morning quarterback, uh, some of the moves that they made, they went about the completely wrong way. And, and it, it is uh, a good example. They got out of it simply because they like the charges ended up getting dropped simply because there were so many government informants from all the agencies that they yes. didn't know who had coerced who into doing what. And so they literally couldn't make a case, right? Why did that happen? Because they didn't discern any of the people that were coming out of the woodwork because they expected that some national organization was going to come do something for them. Some top down thing was going to do, was just going to materialize out of thin air. And so all of a sudden, magically, you have this organization. That says all the right things, right? It's packaged a little too clean. It's kind of looking a little too weird. And they don't have any overt people that are out there in public saying, you know, hey, this is who we are. This is what we're recruiting for. At least with the Oath Keepers, you had Stuart Rhodes, right? Right. You had, you had a clear chain of command. You had leadership that was going on. And it, it ended up going sideways as things normally do, right? But it, it was there. It had a legitimacy to it that, yeah, you know, I'm sorry. You know, this, this other organization, I mean, you know, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm not wrong. Well, and, to be uh, fair to our mutual yeah. friend, it did begin as something else, but I just think that it's been co-opted and rebranded and, and re-rolled out as, as something entirely different. Um, with all the leadership, so we'll just leave it at that. Um, yeah. But but it's not a coincidence that they spent you know some time painting Christians as villains and this group as villains, and then all of a sudden here they all are together. I mean it's it, it was a ready-made photo op. So. Right. And and so here, here's the thing to point out that all right so you know we're talking about a a church group that was protesting outside of an abortion center right which they have the right to do and i know several people that that do this they're not blocking the entrances you're standing out in the parking lot and leading a prayer right? right you don't need a national level organization to do this every minister in the united states that wears the cloth ought to be doing this every ought church to. ought to be doing this they don't need some some you know questionable national organization to do this for them you don't you don't need that all right and and if if they want to show up fine you know cool but if you don't know the people in your church congregation and you're going out to do something like that you need to be questioning your stance all right 
you know, sure, they might seem, and this is the same for any protest. And, and longtime listeners know, you know, going all the way back to the beginning of Radio Contra, you know, I, I'm not big on that kind of thing anyway. But, you know, if, if you're going out to the parking lot to pray over a place like that, um, I don't really call that a protest, but that just is what it is. But the point is, is that you, you should know everybody that you're going out there with. You know, you, you should know who they are. You should know what they're going to do and how they're going to react, right, to to certain things. Because you got to understand that the counter protest is going to be out there, and they always have the cameras rolling. Yeah. And they are waiting for that opportunity where they catch you doing something a little off, you know, maybe a little off color. That's going all over their corner of the Internet. And you know what? This doesn't make its way to the mainstream media. This is another hat tip we have to give to the left. So I commented just before the election about the Michigan Boogaloo boys who were arrested in a federal investigation, you know, literally days before the election. Right. Uh, And they said, oh, these guys were going to attack polling centers, which is totally untrue. But they made that case. Now, the day that the, the, the events that they arrested them for occurred on a day in April of 2021. And I was there that day. And I spoke to people on both sides because I was with a reporter. Um, so the reporter was doing his thing. I was protecting the reporter. And this group of Boogaloo boys showed up and they wanted to involve themselves in the Antifa BLM activity. And Antifa BLM said, nah, fam, we don't know you. You're not getting involved with us. Y'all can go protest down the street, but you can't be with us. And they refused to let them in. And it turns out now that we get a year down the road and they make some arrests that among that group of 12 people, there were at least eight federal informants. So at least does it right. Correct. They say, hey, I'm not letting you in. I don't know you. And it turns out that they were mostly informants. Um, Crazy how that works. Crazy. So. Yeah, every time, man. You know, there there has to be a vetting process. You know, and and it's it's not as difficult as it seems. You know, I break it down really simple. How long has somebody lived there? What's your motivation? You know, and and then simple things like that. Like, you know, all right, let's do a credit check on you. You know, if you want to be a part of a a quote unquote group for a purpose. But you can't pay your bills. That's a kind of a red red flag there. Like that, that's a warning sign, right? How long have you lived in the area? Oh, so if you're brand new here, and all of a sudden you're showing up, and you, you know you want to talk about uh, changing the the uh, dynamics of a place, hey, you know that that's kind of suspect in my opinion. Right. You know, and those people that are a little too eager to tell you everything you want to hear, yes. That's a red flag to me, too. Or those people where you're, you're talking to them and, and nobody has ever been to their house. Nobody's ever been to their work. This is just my friend Bill. Those yeah, are the guys yeah. you got to look out for. So. <laughs> yeah, B- Bill going to get you in trouble. It's always uh, a friend of a friend, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, th- this guy. Well, I mean, that that's that is quite literally how. Ruby Ridge was initiated was was, hey, this guy is a friend of mine. He's a biker. And all right. So, you know, a, a friend of a friend and now all of a sudden a shotgun that's an inch too short um, is, you know, in thrown in the mix somehow. And, and you know, it, the rest is history. And uh, that's that's just how it goes. You know, so you got to be. When you're talking about forming a group, you know, and here it is, we, you know, we, we've dove into this for a long time now, uh, totally outside of what we, we had planned. Right. But, hey, man, it, you know, it's still but but when you're you're forming a group, you know, check on these guys, man. You know, I mean, how, how long has somebody lived in in the place in which they reside? Because realistically, that's your area of operations. You know, do they do they check out? I'm going to give you a little tip. This is a free tip for everybody. If if you're meeting somebody for the first time and, you know, like somebody wants to bring another guy into your group and you set up a meeting with them and then at like 30 minutes before the meeting, if you change the location to somewhere a significant distance from there and they don't want to do it, that's a fed because there's too much organization to get their cover team 
shift it and moved around and get new cameras installed and all that. And they don't want to do it. Yeah, I'm just, yeah. I'm just going to throw that out there. Now that, I mean, that's a valid point. You know, it's, that's, yeah, that, that, that is a real good one, actually. Um, we actually okay. used to do that with, um, cause I used to run undercover operations in businesses for other businesses. Right. And, yeah. uh, that's how a lot of the unions would find out you had an undercover, uh, operative working in their receiving dock. They'd offer to take the guy to lunch somewhere and you'd set up to cover it. Then they would change where they were going to lunch and they'd catch yeah, you every yeah. time. So, yeah, yeah, that, that's, I will, uh, that's a good story for in person. I've got a story about that. Um, <laughs> also, not that, a bad topic for lessons from the farm. It, so. it is not. It is not. It's uh, that's not one of the ones that I had planned uh, on the docket, but that is a damn good one. Um, I I do have a story about that that involves somebody <laughs> wanting to set up a meeting, and I I pulled that trick on them, and they got all been out of shape. All been out of shape when you do that, yeah. Well, you know, but the, the guy didn't check out anyway. He had he had a bankruptcy, he had a felony conviction. Um, it just, you know, and and that was that was a long time ago. That was listen. Long, this is what I do whenever I meet with somebody new that I don't know, and uh, you know, Mrs. always gets worried that some Fed's gonna try to set me up. Because I start out the conversation with, "Hey, man." I don't know you, so I always give this speech. I'm not going to talk about overthrowing the U.S. government. I'm not going to talk about building things we shouldn't build. I'm not going to talk about modifying things. So it's probably going to be a pretty boring conversation for you. And if you never hear from them again, you have that one lunch and they never call you back. Well, I guess you know something about what they were. So Right, right. That's, That's, I mean, solid advice, man. You know, it's it's be boring. Be boring. I mean, I start every that way too we're not going to talk about these things today now we're going to have class and we're going to talk about self-defense or we're talking about whatever the topic is but we're right. not going to talk about these things so don't bring them up and yeah, it always takes the wind out of the fed in the room <laughs> those guys that want to talk about this stuff you know they're always shady 100 percent of the time they're always well, shady. They're one of two things they're either crazy or a yes. fed and fortunately they both look the same to me right <laughs> Well, I mean, confidential informants are, are, you know, they don't confidential informants are that way because they get in trouble. You know, these these guys are they're not uh, the smartest. (laughs) No, no, no. And I'm just saying once you've had some counterintelligence training, all of a sudden, you know, these guys usually stick out like a sore thumb. Speaking of criminal behavior. That's that's normally a big red flag. So so last night I'm watching Rob Roy, classic film, right? Oh we, yeah. He's in their swords, but not only was he a Fed because you know he was he was going around catching uh, bad guys for the for the local uh, local lord, but he was also a game warden Fed. It changes your whole thinking of the movie once you realize that. Yep. <laughs> it's a fact, man. Yeah, it's it a is fact. a fact. You were you were talking about the hunted too. Which I oh man, classic film, that. man. Classic, dude. That that's. I mean, there was there was a couple of little things. I remember back the first time I saw The Hunted. I thought yeah. that was the most badass movie ever, because yeah. Benicio del Toro is a badass in every movie he's been in. Oh I mean, yeah, he, he's yeah. You know, even even Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I mean, he he's he, even that movie, like everything he's in, he, he's he's top notch. Um, but that movie, going back and rewatching it, 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 it is kind of a, a, you know, it it does have its moments where it's like, eh, you know, like, yeah, you know, I mean, but still, uh, it is a classic film though. Well, there are a lot of people who think that those knife fighting, uh, sequences they were doing, uh, in the training would work in real life. They won't. No, but. My point, my point is valid. If your escape and evasion game is not at his level, uh, and if your tracking yeah. game isn't at Tommy Lee Jones's level in there, you need some work. And we know some guys who could help you with that. Uh, I, I do. <laughs> I happen to know. You if know, your but, fighting isn't at that level, <laughs> I can definitely help you with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so they, they were using, if if I remember right, it was um, Siak Kali 
and Escrima, yes. specifically Escrima, which is uh, the the knife element to South Cully. Yeah. But the keep in mind that that knife, the the movie that literally sold thousands of knives for tops. Um, the, the Tom Brown tracker because Tom Brown uh, was the the advisor to the film and it's very very loosely based very loosely based um, as in the 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 framing of the story is is loosely based on something that Tom Brown claims happened uh, he had he had a student and he had to go track down um, you know I don't know. I, I think Tom Brown's Tom Brown's field guides that he wrote are excellent. I, I think that they, there's some of the best survival manuals that, that are out there, bar none. And and you can get these. Like you can get them on Amazon. I don't think they're in print new anymore. I could be wrong about that. But you can get them on Amazon for like a dollar because they've been around for forever. And and they they are some of the best. Like they recommend those at Sears School. Um, his, his, um, sur- it, the actual survival field manuals that he wrote, not yeah. the tracker book, but the, he, he wrote a series of, they're called field guides that he wrote. And, um, uh, it was living with the earth, um, wild edibles. There's one on, on, uh, natural survival and tracking and, like they, they, he even wrote one for kids, like a training program for kids, and I've got all of them back on the bookshelf, and and uh, they are excellent. So you know, it's I mean, Tom Brown's a controversial guy. Like some people that uh, don't like him at all, and you know, call him a snake oil salesman or whatever. And then there's other guys. Like I, I've been privileged to uh, have several of his people in class. And, um, you know, Kevin Reeve out at uh, On Point Tactical was a longtime um, instructor under Tom Brown. And, and I've had several of his guys in class as well. And, and you know, I've, I've got nothing but incredible things to say about that entire crowd. And so, you know, whatever people out there may think of, of Tom Brown, um, dude, he, he's look at what he's done for the survivalist uh, uh, mindset. Look at what he's done for the community. It, it's been nothing short of amazing. Uh, so, you know, I, I really like the guy, but that knife on the other hand, um, yeah, I'm, a little, now, I'm iffy on the knife. Yeah. And now, I mean, first of all is, is, I don't know how the hell you would fight with that thing. Um, I, it, it's, it's too short to be good at any of the things that it's supposed to do. Uh, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's I, I, it's I, I don't know man it it's i guess it's a cool looking movie prop but you know i, I don't know it yeah it's one of those ones that when you see somebody carrying that knife at a class you're like oh that guy doesn't know anything i got you okay it's like it's like the guy who only carries a karambit and carries no other knife <laughs> I, i'm always like i always discount that dude off the top Oh, before he draws it i'm gonna have my uh my bayonet jab through his throat so oh yeah it's karambit it's, oh, has its places but it's not your main combat knife doug machida yeah. doug machida he's gonna he bro do you, i mean do you even yeah i i mean i don't know when i have a karambit i just want to go around slashing things like you know just yeah well, here's, here's my thing about any knife. If the knife requires very specific training for years for you to be able to use it effectively, it's not the right knife. Well, <laughs> you I'm need not a real utilitarian, man. Like, yeah. yeah. Like my my everyday carry is, is an Almar. Uh, is, is it's a Sear 2000. You know, like why do I carry a Sear 2000? Not because I'm I'm some sort of badass, you know, like or I'm gonna go fighting people with it or whatever. And I don't I don't care about any of that. It's easy to sharpen. Like the, yeah. the design itself is easy to sharpen, so I can keep a good edge on it. You know, like what's my what's my blade in the field? I got a Dan Winkler. You know, like like it's it's and it's, again, it's not because Dan Winkler makes a, a better knife than anybody else out there. There's a lot of custom makers that are really cool. It's because Dan is from North Carolina, and it has a very traditional look to it. Um, you know, it, it, it Dan 
so Dan Winkler did all the blades from Last of the Mohicans. And, um, you know, he, he's really famous in the special operations world for, you know, all the knives and stuff that he's made. But, um, you know, his field knife, just a basic belt knife, like a, a traditional something that uh, a rifleman would carry as a patch knife, you know, to, to cut uh, patches for, for loading a, a flintlock. Um, you know, he, he uses real traditional uh, designs. And that's been his over time that that's been his design, just that that's his whole thing. And it, it works for him and his blades are really nice, you know? So that, that's, and, that's why I care. And a $300 knife, three to $400 knife. It ought to be good. <laughs> well, it, yeah, I mean, it is, it is, um, you know, he, he's got a, a great reputation in, in the knife community in general, but I mean, he's a stand up guy like in Western North Carolina. Dan's really well known, um, in, in the, the, uh, the, uh, mountain man doing the, the rendezvous stuff and, and, uh, with the reenactment crowd, he's really well known and all that. And in, in the, um, the survival circles, I mean, his, his dives are great. So, you know, it, it's, uh, I think they're worth the money. I really do. Um, you know, three, $300 is, is not exactly throwaway money. Um, but you're getting a tool that is well, you very high quality. Other one, yeah. Yeah. Like it, it's you, you're, and the, the thing is too, is that if you break it, it's just like with Essie, you know, and Essie and, and, uh, Jeff Randall, uh, him and Mike Perrin, what, what they're able to do, uh, down in Alabama, uh, in North Alabama up in the, the Southern tip of the Appalachians. But, uh, Essie knives themselves are actually made by Rowan out in idaho and and uh, it's just like with them if if you break one of their knives you send it back to them they'll send you another one right and so uh dan's the same way like he, he stands by his product if it gets damaged in any kind of way you know you send it back to him uh you, you know you, you're gonna get another one and he's what a lot of people don't know about dan winkler is that he has um he he has this whole apprenticeship program that he runs uh, where he lives out out in uh, the Boone, Blowing Rock, uh, Banner Elk area in, in Western North Carolina, and he has done more for the knife industry out there of getting these young guys started than anybody else in the knife community that I know of. Um, so he he's really created this uh, this kind of um, really awesome culture of knife making that has it, it's just really incredible to see it and, and the fact that it's it's uh here in north carolina and it's this this whole uh hearkening back to the the traditional way of doing things um it's just really cool man it, it's it's a really really cool thing that that when you can see that and when those guys are really successful um you know i that that makes me very, very proud inside that, that the old ways are being carried on. You know, it's, I, I don't know. It, it's, that's my soapbox, but I'm, I'm, it's really important to me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I agree. And, and I'll tell you what, I've been buying a lot of handmade knives from, from folks who are just coming up in that. It's really a good time. There's a lot of people at it. Like I love my tour knives, Anaconda. Um, yeah. And it's, it's a pretty pricey knife, but, it's pretty solid made by a veteran. Uh, yeah. and I got a couple of 03, uh, metalworks knives. Uh, I got a pretty sweet throwing spike from 03 metalworks right here too. Again, veteran owned business and they're learning the trade from real guys. I don't know if, uh, if Dan's involved with them, but they're learning it from, they learned it yeah. from real blacksmiths, right? It's not, it's not a skill you can just go and learn somewhere, right? You gotta, you gotta apprentice under somebody. Good you stuff. do, man. I mean, it, it's just like gunsmithing, you know, or any other craft, you know, a, a tradesman's craft, just carpentry, laying block, you know, masonry, whatever it is. If you're going to be a true artist, you have to train under somebody. I mean, there, there's natural talent and a skill, but it has to be honed, you know, and and, and um, bladesmithing is, is one of those things like I've made a few knives on my own and they're nothing to look at. Um, you know, I was, I, I made a couple of knives when I was kind of going through a rough patch and, and, um, just needed something, right. I, I needed something to do and I had some scrap metal laying around and I mean, you know, whatever is 5160, 
you know, spring steel, whatever. And I just, you know, ground out some blades. So, but yeah, you know, bladesmithing, I'm, I'm glad to see a lot of these guys getting into it. You know, it gives, it gives, I know like for me, it's probably a lot of other veterans that are out there that, that are like this. We have to be forwardly engaged in something like constantly. Yep. We have to be engaged in, in doing something. And it kind of, um, when, when we're given a productive task, even if we, you know, we're generating it ourselves, it puts us in a much happier place. And, um, you know, I, I know that, that it, it, it's, it's helped me a lot. And, um, it's i'm sure this has helped a lot of other guys too you know and and so it's like you said man it's a good time to get into the industry um it's just it's all around good and so you've got to support those guys i mean you know the the corporate entities that are making blades you know if they're still making them here in the u.s um you know k-bar being one of them uh ontario's another you know support them naturally you're gonna want to support them but some of the custom guys that, that are that are really putting their heart and soul into a product, you know, take a hard look at that stuff, man, because you, you get a quality blade, you're getting really something of of uh, great value there, I think. I don't know. I, I say that as a knife guy. So. Yeah, I, I know. I've been told that I don't need to buy any more knives, but I bought some more yesterday <laughs> at the Gun and Knife Show. So. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, anyway, throwing knives, thought of things. I definitely have some throwing knives. <laughs> and you said, as you said, Ontario, I grabbed my Ontario bayonet that looks just like a K bar. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, good stuff. They are. They are. So, talking about bayonets and AK bayonets and whatnot, a country that is building a whole lot of AK 103s. Just to our south, Venezuela, there has been some interesting things, uh, interesting developments that have come out of Venezuela concerning the U.S. State Department and our uh, energy production, or rather the lack thereof. They have released a policy letter, and this has come from, uh, I'm corrected here, the Department of Treasury, not the Department of State. But uh, the Office of Foreign Assets Control, and this is uh, the the office that manages the sanctions uh, that we put on other countries. So in case uh, anybody didn't know out there what sanctions are, since uh, the United States dollar is a world reserve currency, we can tell the world who can buy those dollars and who can't. Um, And once a country gets unfavorable nation status, then they have to buy dollars at a uh, exorbitant rate of interest so that they can in turn buy oil. And this has been kind of a, the weapon that we use in foreign policy for uh, the past, uh, well, since the end of World War II. And th- this has been a, a major point of contention with, with a lot of things in the world. And, and once you understand and you break down foreign policy in that aspect, you'll begin to understand things on a global picture quite a bit more, as Stan would say uh, on the Council of Future Conflict. But um, anyway, with that said, they are very interestingly freeing up the Chevron Corporation uh, and their joint venture in Venezuela to now begin drilling for oil. So as everybody knows, we have a a, a pretty serious fuel crisis still on the horizon. Uh, Diesel fuel specifically is in very short supply, getting to a, a critical point. The U.S. Strategic Oil Reserve is at the lowest level since 1984, uh, possibly the lowest level it ever has been. And it also must be pointed out that Joe Biden sold a substantial amount of it to China. Okay, this is indisputable. This happened. It's a fact. It's well documented. No matter how much the left tries to memory hold it, this happened. Okay. And so now, because of their uh, Jennifer Granholm, your wonderful ex-governor, Joe, up there in, in the great state of Michigan, uh, right. because of their yeah, because of their disastrous energy policy, uh, they they literally have wrecked the economy and shut down domestic oil production. Domestic oil production was at an all-time high under President Donald Trump, and now it is at an all-time low, just within two years. Uh, coming up on two years of a Biden administration and their disaster of an energy policy. So they're turning to Venezuela very interestingly. 
And allowing for production in the Venezuelan country uh, to begin or to resume. Now, it's very interesting reading over this policy, and uh, you can see this up on AmericanPartisan.org. You can see it over on Twitter, at uh, Brushbeater. Uh, but I, I have it up in its entirety, and I'm not going to bore you with that. But it says that uh, Chevron's joint venture, Okay, Chevron's joint venture. So it says, interestingly, in this document, in this memorandum, uh, this uh, general license number 41, right? They're saying that none of this money is going to go to the Venezuelan government. However, however, it's important to point out that the Chevron joint venture is involving involving Petroleos de Venezuela SA, right? So that's the joint venture. Well, who owns that? The Venezuelan government. <laughs> the Venezuelan government owns it. Okay, so it says that no part of the Venezuelan government is going to get the money from this, yet Venezuelan government is part of the joint venture that is doing the oil drilling. It's going to be selling it. Okay. Well, this is what's silly is when you look at any of these sanctions, whether they're against Venezuela, Russia, or China, if you subscribe to the OFAC list like you and I do, you see yep. virtually every day us issuing licenses literally allowing everyone to go around our own sanctions. The sanctions exist literally only on paper. They're not they're not actually enforced in real life. No. No, and, and so uh, it has a list of prohibitions here. I think that it's very interesting. Uh, these prohibitions are very interesting, and I'm going to get to that in a second. Uh, but the sale of petroleum or petroleum products produced through the Chevron JV uh, joint venture for the exportation to any jurisdiction other than the United States. So, okay, uh, number four here, <laughs> any transaction involving an entity located in Venezuela that is owned or controlled by an entity located in the Russian Federation and any expansion of the Chevron joint ventures into new fields in Venezuela beyond what was in place on January 28, 2019. Okay, so let me break this down real quick. I'm going to put it in, in layman's terms. I'm going to come to your house. I'm going to put my feet up on your table. I'm going to tell your wife to go to the kitchen and fix me what I want out of your fridge. And you're going to like it because that's exactly what's happening here. Okay. That, that is exactly what is occurring here. The United States saying, oh, hey, Venezuela, hey, we still don't like you and we don't like your government. But we're going to come in and we're going to take what we want. And there's absolutely nothing that you can do about it. Right. How do you think this is going to work out? Yeah, you're going to you're going to see a labor uh, dispute almost immediately uh, at the at the refinery. Right. So it's just it's silly. The whole thing is silly. As Even if, if have, they get that far. What's that? Even if they get that far. Well, that's true. I, I don't think I don't think that Venezuela, Venezuela may say, oh, hey, you know what? United States. Yeah, we'll we'll let you bomb a few million barrels off of us, right? This is this is the ultimate sign of weakness. That is exactly what this is. If they get to the point where they're drilling, and I know that there's going to be some detractors out there, some of the neocons, and certainly some of the liberals that are going to say they're going to listen to this thing and say, oh well, you know, yeah, yeah, but Venezuela really needs the money. Do they? Do they? Uh, they do on one hand, but you have China and Russia and BRICS on the horizon saying, hey, if you hold out, you hold out just a little bit longer. Remember, Maduro, United States tried to get rid of you a couple of years ago. You remember that? And they tried to ki they tried to kill your predecessor several times in the 2000s. You remember that. They have long memories, all right? And so outside... Um, I, I posted a photo the other day of Maduro and Lula, and they look like cousins, man. They're hugging on each other, yes. you know, practically making John out. So there's a deal there. And John Kerry. I, I put up a picture of the three of them very recently meeting together. Uh, so it, it, it's... there. There's certainly a game afoot uh, my takeaway from this is that China is waiting in the wings. This is a temporary thing that, you know, we might benefit very short term from. 
And then there's going to be a Venezuelan Supreme Court decision, uh, executive edict. However, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, they're going to say, nah, you know what? United States, we ain't doing business with you. You've been bullying the world because this this is how in, in most of everywhere south of the Rio, right? That, yeah. that whole world that the United States really doesn't understand, right? The United States, the, the American public doesn't understand that world down there at all. And we, we in particular, if, if you really want to learn about some of the, the, uh, the way that uh, Latin America looks at the United States through exploitative means, right? Because you got to understand, look at the world through somebody else's eyes. Uh, read Smedley Butler. Read up on Smedley Butler and, and what he was there to do in, in United Fruit and why the Marine Corps played the role that they played in the various uprisings in, in uh, Central America in particular. I you mean, know, why baseball. Butler literally wrote the book on it, the Small Wars <laughs> Manual. Yeah. I mean, it, there, there's there's a history there, man. And, and he wasn't so happy about it either. It, it left him a very jaded man. Hey, let's remember Smedley Butler. Uh, for those of you who are who are younger and don't know, Smedley Butler Butler led probably the largest protest ever in Washington D.C. that yep. they had to put down with tanks, bayonets, and chemical weapons. Yep. So, yeah. This army, it's, read up on the bonus army. Yep. It, I mean, it, it, it's when, all when there. they tell you January sixth was bad, the bonus army was worse. I'm just saying. That's, well, how they handled them, I mean. Right, right. You know, January 6th wasn't, you know. <laughs> no, no, I don't want to dive down that rabbit hole. But, yeah, it, it's that's that's a good episode for another day, good sir. Right on. But, um, yeah, Venezuela is, is part and parcel of bricks, man. So yeah. this is, they, you know, we might get a little bit out of the deal very, very short term. I don't know if it's going to go to full-blown production. I don't expect that it will. Um, and, and you know, the, the reality is, is that this is yet another short-sighted DC, you know, plan to nowhere, react. Let's, let's just react to a crisis. We don't have any long-term plan because the long-term plans went out the window. You know, Colombia, had we actually supported the, the conservative candidate, uh, that was running against Gustavo Petro in Colombia. Had we actually tried to do that, which I know Nikki Haley, she's not a very popular person with me um, or, or a lot of other people, but she was during the Trump administration. She took a very active role in Colombia, trying to to build up a successor to the last uh, American friendly uh, uh, conservative regime there that, that we literally threw under the bus. We would have had a stable partner in oil production. But Meanwhile, said, we're also throwing Bolsonaro under the bus, our last actual ally. Yep. Right. Oh yeah, and and man, man, oh man, if, if ooh wait, uh, on my tinfoil hat, I would point out something here. We're about to do a deal that benefits Venezuela, whether they want to admit it or not. Correct. Um, right. a few what two months ago, Venezuela ran a massive scale amphibious operation. And and at first, you know, kind of chuckled and joked like, where is Venezuela going to launch an amphibious operation on? Amphibious operations are not defensive in nature. They are offensive in nature. You're landing on a hostile shore. Well, now all of a sudden this weekend, we have the Brazilian army um, saying they're going to defy Lula, who is an ally of Venezuela. Now, all of a sudden... Venezuela getting an influx of cash from the U.S., who is also supporting Lula, uh, and then Venezuela running a massive drill for amphibious operations makes a little more sense. They might you know, it does. The fight it does. The that's yeah. uh, I mean, it, literally everywhere of importance Brazil. in Venezuela can be. I mean, in Brazil can be reached from the sea. Yep. Oh. You know that's. That that's one of the things which um you know we really need to do a whole other episode breaking that down, but because the the looming civil war in in Brazil which it's it's happening okay it's yep. I don't think it's a possibility at this point uh, earlier um you know last week I gave it kind of a a uh, sixty five thirty five 
uh, was on the horizon. It was kind of, you know, waiting to see what Bolsonaro did uh, because he had not taken a very active role up until this week in really anything. Uh, he, he had kind of stood back, but it looks like as of today, he's going for it. And uh, the military is is backing him. Yeah, I think he realizes that if he doesn't do it, he's going to prison. They're going to lock him up and never let him yep. out. So he might as well go down fighting. And th- that sheds a little light on the the unheard of school shooting last Friday in uh, in Brazil. There was a shooting in uh, in a small town, Aracruz, uh, Brazil. Kid runs in. He's a 16-year-old. He runs in, fires off a semi-automatic handgun and a revolver. I think he killed three and wounded 14. The semi-automatic pistol he used, it turns out, is a military police service weapon. Now, their military police is like our state police, right? It's like... Well, doesn't this sound familiar? Yeah. Well, it wasn't exactly, a, you mean right? to tell me it wasn't a Daniel Defense M4 with a EOTech 532 <laughs> so, or whatever on top so, of it? And a forward grip just so. It's the equivalent (laughs) of that, right? And get this, he had a Nazi patch on his body armor. So as they're calling the military police Nazis and they're saying the military police are fascists and want to hurt people, we have this shooting by a Uh, 16-year-old. Nah, man, this is just a little too perfect for my taste, right? Um, So things are really... And Lula got the most votes ever. He got the most votes ever in the history of democracy. Like, is that what we were told? (laughs) (laughs) Does this not sound familiar? Uh, I mean, at least least change the playbook a little bit, bro. A little bit. A bit. A bit. But uh, that this this Venezuela thing is going to lead to bigger things with Brazil. And boy, I'll tell you what. uh, There was a a thread put out by a Brazilian today. I said, listen, it's not just Brazil. This is the beginning of the revolution against the one world government. And boy, yeah. who's the guy on Twitter who's been saying that World War Three will be a collection of civil wars? What's that guy's name? I think it's the one I'm talking to. <laughs> yeah. I'm talking to. I yeah. mean, we, we've been saying for a while now, though, that yeah. uh, in all seriousness, I, I've said it on the, the last several Radio Contras that if Brazil, when, it, when I was talking about Brazil, if Brazil devolves into a civil war, Colombia is right behind it. Oh, yeah. Colombia is right on its heels. Uh, Chile right now looks very stable. I don't expect them to, to have a problem. Argentina is going to devolve quickly as well. They, they've got a, a low grade conflict simmering, um, among the, the, really the, the Kirshner faction, which, which is a very hard left, uh, faction there. It's very similar story to Brazil. Her, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A Brazilian national tried to kill her. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I will say that for a communist and, and uh, uh, you know, she's getting on up there in years. But, man, she ages like fine wine. Oh, yeah. Hey, she's going to want to say it. <laughs> she, she, you know, she's the Tulsi Gabbard category of dem communist. Whatever. <laughs> hey, she, uh, I, she, I think she's better than Tulsi. Uh, I don't think she's a vegan. I don't think so. <laughs> right, right, right. I've never met a vegan Argentinian. Never. Although, to be fair, I haven't met many Argentinians. Met a few, not many. <laughs> uh, but I've never met a vegan Argentinian. Yeah, the, the gaucho culture is very, very uh, important there. It uh, is. Like cowboy culture here. It's, uh, you know, very many similarities. I've got a good friend that, that went down there and um, uh, painted a book. Uh, uh, partly of his experiences. He's a, a cowboy artist, pretty well-known one. And he, um, that he, he went down there and, and traveled Argentina for a little while. And uh, during, during their, their last problematic period and uh, traveled with the gauchos. And um, it's, it's really cool, man. You know, when, whenever you, when you come out here, I'm going to have to uh, let you look through that book. Some of his just absolutely amazing artwork. Cool stuff. Um, it's yeah. beautiful. And, and the story, like he, he writes the, the story uh, that goes along with the images. It's, it's just absolutely beautiful. Um, it really, really is. And, and uh, but anyway, it, it's uh, more to the point, though, it, it's I see and, and I do see Venezuela flaring up again, too. Now, Venezuela is is the most uh, staunch of the uh, BRICS allied nations. I mean, this is 
literally the Russian and Chinese uh, uh, beachhead in South America. You know, Cuba was was the first nation. But you got to understand that Central America plays a big role in this, too, because Nicaragua, uh, the, the Sandinista government that, uh, of Daniel Ortega that is controlling things in Nicaragua, is the site for the new canal zone. Because the Panama Canal is is uh, aging out, it is due uh, overdue for an overhaul, and China owns the rights to that. You, know, you can thank the Clinton administration for signing away the rights. So um, China has installed and and has maintained the government of of Daniel Ortega, who is a Sandinista. In Radio Contra, uh, this podcast gets its name from the Contras that fought against the Sandinista government uh, and were largely successful until they were thrown under the bus during uh, Iran-Contra uh, and, and that scandal that was largely orchestrated um, by the uh, uh, by Ted Kennedy and, and the Democrats in the 1980s to get leverage on, on the Reagan administration. But um, – yeah, though, just, just a quick yeah. two-second aside – I left a little bit of blood in that canal zone, so I'm I'm personally angry that we've uh, essentially it over to China. So, anywho, yeah. hey, I, mean, I spilled it's, more it's, than I took than I left, but I did leave some. Ooh, Panama. But, yeah, most people don't remember that we fought there. I'm old. Well, and, and I said, when you think about it, you know, and I was writing some some notes here because we we 100% have to do a follow up show, and it, it's it's got to be this week, like like. Tuesday, Wednesday time frame, because what what you stated about Venezuela potentially leading a a military backing of Lula, this would be mutually beneficial. And this, this is what I wrote down. This would be mutually beneficial to both China, Russia, and the United States. Yes, that's a very scary thing. It is. It lets you know that there is actually some sort of a bigger thing going on, and it's not what you think. Right. So. So uh, I've been saying for a long time now, we got to look to South America. You know, we got to look to Central America. We need stability there because when we look at the invasion that's happening on our southern border, the only way that you stop that uh, after we close the border, after we we you know we we actually take the measures that are required to secure our own border. You know, forget Ukraine. That's not the United States. Okay, forget Europe. It's not the United States. NATO is not the United States. I'm sorry. Uh, don't care about them. Our interests are here at home, right? We need to close the damn border. All right, bring in people. With abandoning the Monroe Doctrine. Right. The, the, Mo, the Monroe Doctrine goes back to the earliest days of American trade, and it was there for a reason. All right, it was there because we understood, recognized, and respected the efforts of Simone Bolivar and in both the United States as well as Central and South America, we wanted the 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 the, the conflict and the hegemony of Europe to be out of affairs that was happening in the Western world. Right. And and you know, along the way we, we got way, way off track there. For a lot of reasons, right? But we have to get back to that. We have to disincentivize the fact that that we have people coming here illegally. I'm all for people to immigrate to the United States. I think that's awesome, right? I, I think that it's, it, it's great that we have people that that are willing to come here, um, and, and want to to be a part of American culture, you know, and, and bring because American culture is bringing part of their culture along with it. I'm a, I'm a big respecter of that. I think that's awesome. But at the same time, they got to do it legally. Right, you got to be bringing in people that want to be. Speech uh, really encompasses what it should be. We want people to come here, but you have to come here. You can't keep one right. foot in your old country and one foot here. There's no divided allegiances here. Right. And 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 I don't remember the name of the speech, but Theodore Roosevelt gave quite I a speech. American. Yeah. Oh, that's it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's you know. It, it, it's there's there's no better way to put that and and one of the best ways is to get that foreign interference out of the american continents you know we we really need to do that i don't think that we're going to be able to do it you know i i wish that we could end this podcast on a positive note i don't think that's going to happen at all uh, i think it's only going to get worse 
the Chinese are going to exploit the hell out of that huge invasion that's happening on our southern border. They're already working their way into everything that's going on in the internal politics of Canada. Um, you know, it, it's it, there is a lot of evidence for all this stuff out there. I've done it in my, my Red Dawn series, which I've done uh, two parts on. I'm getting ready to do a third part where we're breaking this down even further. But this this Venezuela, how them moving in to support the government of Lula in Brazil, how this is mutually beneficial to three different parties out there um, that, that are seemingly in conflict with one another. I mean, especially right now, the United States and Russia. Uh, you know, and, and China is firmly at, at you know, in, in Russia's corner. Um, we totally need to do a, a second part to this episode, man. All right. I think it's a good idea. I think it is, too. Anyway, with that said, coming up just over an hour, folks, Joe Dolio, TacticalWisdom.com, his best-selling book series. He is obviously an advertiser of mine. You've heard me talk about him a lot. Frequent guest of the show. Castle on Future Conflict, which you can catch on Rumble as well as YouTube. Still on YouTube, right? Yep, still on YouTube. As of right now, it hasn't been banned yet. It will be, though. Um, I'm an occasional guest on there, but uh, they, they have some really, really incredible guys uh, that, that are all subject matter experts in their respective fields over there. So I'm, I'm definitely honored every time that I get to uh, get the opportunity to get over there. You can catch it live uh, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 1300 Eastern. Uh, used to be 09. They bumped it up to 1300 Eastern uh, for a bit of a time change to accommodate some of the other guests that are on there. But uh, technicalwisdom.com, you can definitely check that out, americanpartisan.org brushbeater.org slash training calendar. Get over there, find those training dates that are on the calendar, see what you can get to because you definitely want to get to that training. Brother Joe, it's been great to have you on. All right, my man, we will see you next time. All right, God bless. See ya. <laughs>